forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Uh, please give a round of applause to the Conan writers. Welcome. We're just going to see how long you'll clap for. <laughs> Let's go down, starting right here uh, with you, and introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, who you are, what you do on this show, how long you have been with the show. Yeah, tell us what you do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all love to know. Happy to. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Uh, my name's Matt O'Brien. I'm the uh, head writer, and um, I've been with the show for seven years, and I've only been the head writer for about four months. Congratulations. Uh, hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> thanks, thank right. you. Thank you. Anyway, you? Hi, I'm Mike. Matt, you're doing a great job. Thanks by a really good <laughs> job. It's been incredible. Promoted. I'm Mike Sweeney. I've been with the show 21 years. Uh, yeah. Uh, and as a head writer for a while and... People who love me never told me to stop doing it. Uh, I did it way too long. Uh, but now um, I'm just working mostly on Conan's travel shows. He's kind of traveling around. So, uh, you know, I get busy uh, four times a year, which is how I like it. <laughs> That's it. Great. Um, uh, I'm Todd Levin, and I'm a writer. And I've been there since the beginning of 2009. So just at the end of late night, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Could you could you guys frame that yeah, for yeah, us yeah. just so we can get that timeline a little that bit? That was the very the tail end okay. of late night. I feel like I was there more as like a a fan than a staff <laughs> member. Like it was like like fantasy camp because it was just a couple of months at the end of the run. <laughs> that that's actually something I want to go back to. So if I forget, please remind me. Thank well, you. I probably won't. Hey everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Dan Cronin. I started at the end of 05, so just a little over, coming up on 10 years I've been on the show. I started, I got a good little taste of the end of Late Night in New York, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've been here ever since, right. and I'm one of the sketch writers as well. Hi, I'm Jesse Gaskell. I'm one of the sketch writers, and I've been here for, well, I've been here for about 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I've been at Conan for just over two years. And it's been really fun, and we laugh a lot. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jose. I've been with the show since 2002, and uh, it's a dream job, and uh, I'm happy to be here, too. Hi, I'm Leah Krinsky. Is this thing on? Is it on? Okay. Uh, I'm Leah Krinsky. Um, I've been with the show for coming up on two months and uh, I'm the sole monologue writer here tonight um, representing the mono team. And I'm also a licensed psychotherapist because I believe, uh, because I'm a pessimist, basically. She's not lying. She really is a licensed, I am a licensed psychotherapist. psychotherapist. I am. We all see her. Yes. <laughs> Out of network, me. unfortunately. Uh, hi, I'm Levi McDougall. I've been with the show. I'm a sketch writer. Been here since May of 2015. I'm the only licensed Canadian here because I'm an optimist. 
Uh, I'm Andre Dubouchet. I started, uh, I'm a sketch writer too. I started uh, like literally two weeks before Todd, I think, back on uh, yeah. the very, very end of Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 2009. Uh, it's interesting to me to hear you guys uh, delineate immediately that there are sketch writers and monologue writers, and I assume there are like desk writers and things. Can, can you guys talk a little bit about that, whoever wants to jump in? It's like shirts and skins. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to, Matt? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, the, the, we have a, a team of monologue writers that, uh, uh, four guys that just do, it's four people, right, Leah? Four humans. Four humans uh, that do just the monologue every day. They just, they just are purely joke writers, and they obviously uh, get in, read the news, and, uh, you know, crank out jokes every uh, single day. Um, and then there's, uh, I think there was there seven or eight Sketch writers that um, deal Mike's with. not the most hands-on guy. He, yeah. uh, he you've only met. What are our names? You've met like three of them, right? <laughs> there were seven or eight warm bodies that come in uh, and uh, write the comedy that happens after the monologue, sort of the more involved sketch. But uh, that being said, more you're not complex. more complex, more complex and advanced, more, and more sophisticated, more sophisticated, more, reward, more beloved, more rewarding, and a lot of more ways, beloved, think, probably more. Oh, she can't defend. There's only one oh. of her. <laughs> Wait, come back. We're coming to you now. No, that was our plan. That was our plan. Um, you know what's a fun mono fact is how many, sometimes they write like on an average close to 200 jokes a day, and I that always shocks people i think that that many jokes are generated in a single day and then it gets well, cut Cutner down to writes like 190 eight. Of yeah. yeah that's yeah. right we have one guy yeah mm. I, well i wanted to particularly talk about, after you see the monologue right. yeah. to 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 kind of dig in on that a little bit more what does a day for the monologue writing team what does that look like for you when do you show up and what is the first thing that happens and just take us through a day um we i get in around nine um we write, we go through the news, we um, uh, hand in a bunch of prep. And I might be doing this all wrong because I'm new. So, you know, I might be completely misinforming you, but we write a bunch of premises. Um, we uh, collate them and um, then we, we have everybody's different premises, just different news stories, weird stuff that's happened in the news. And then um, we write jokes until about 11.30, the first batch of jokes. Uh, We send them all to uh, Danielle, our fabulous assistant, who's out there somewhere. And she um, um, puts them all together, and uh, then we go through them. They go down to Conan. Uh, we work on a second batch of jokes. He sends up his picks from the first batch. And uh, after we hand in the second batch, we go downstairs. We uh, work with Conan um, going over jokes. He picks out the ones that he likes. We kind of winnow it down to about anywhere from a dozen to 20 jokes. And then we go back upstairs. We work on another batch. And we go back down. We do a final cut. And then he goes on. Did I, what is time, that right? What time do you guys record the show? 4.30. Okay. One, one thing um, I'm a little yeah. bit jealous of of the mono people, though, is it's like the most showbiz moment of the day is like minutes before air. The cue card guy's there and the band's playing <laughs> and, they're, and Conan's like, nah, remove that comma and remove this. And they're, they're all right there with him. And I know that 
doesn't happen on every show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by that time we're upstairs on Zappos um, <laughs> looking at stuff and we're like, well, let's, let's talk about that yeah, for, so. for the sketch writers. About Zappos? Yeah. What, yeah. It's a they great show. Talk all day about Zappos. Yeah. Todd and I are addicted to Zappos. Yeah. Yeah. Zappos I have several Zappos ideas on this show. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Can um, this be a Zappos idea, this podcast? Yeah. I wish. Can we get them on board? I could use yeah. a sponsor. Um, for these sketch writers, what does the day look like for you guys? Uh, the, the beginning's similar, right? We we, yeah. we kind of look over, the, we kind of look over the same premises that the uh, mono writers look at, and see if there's, you know, usually with sketch because they're, you're only going to do a couple things in a show. You sort of try to, if you're going to do something topical, you try to hook into a, a larger story. You know, if there's something that you think everybody's going to be talking about, that's the thing you all try to zero in on, right? And then other than that, it's you just are scouring premises or. Sometimes just what just fucking pop, around, fucking around. Honestly, like what pops it, like an observation yeah. you had. I'm yeah. not kidding. Like it, it really, and, a lot of things happen by accident in the hallway. Yeah. Like, oh my god, we should we should do that. I mean, and a lot of things happen by accident in the meetings. Yeah. Don't yeah. you think? How did that character come up? I don't know. Was that in the in the meeting? If we get together in an email thread, in an email uh, thread, exactly. Yeah. This this week I was uh, I played a, a character called the Bowel Owl, which, which is an owl that teaches you about colon health yeah. and. I know, I know. Ellen did it first, but <laughs> she just, uh, so she uh, that just came out from an email thread. We were, you know, the writers have a, a general email thread on Conoco, and um, we, we I, I said something about having. I, I got a flyer about colon health from a bowel owl at Hollywood and Highland, and Dan said new character, <laughs> and it's and it started the wheels turning, and and he. <laughs> He became a character on Tuesday. Um, we we tend not to hit uh, hard news stories in a political way the way the Daily the Daily Show or uh, John Oliver or someone might do it because it's I, I don't know if uh, Conan wants necessarily to be that that guy that sort of newscaster person. So if we do something on the Panama Papers, which we did, it was right. about a guy who wanted to know what the Panama Papers were. And then wanted to know what Panama was, and then wanted to know what South America was, and so on. So we take a sillier view and a sillier angle. It's uh, it can be different uh, every day. It's not so much about the day. Yeah. It's really about the the grid for the week because you're yeah. the, the classic. You know, when you see a you guys, I'm sure plenty of people here have worked on shows and the, the grid for the week, and the cards are up and they get moved around. If that thing's empty, well, you know you should be in your office furiously pitching and, you know, coming up with ideas. If it's filled up, again, Zappos is a great, yeah. great source place. for comedy, um, shoes. But yeah. uh, Matt, you know, Matt might call a meeting and say, let's let everybody come in. We need uh, we need something for the top of Act One mm-hmm. or the yeah. end of Act One. So, yeah. you know, after the monologue, before we're going to go to commercial, just a little something. Maybe it's a piece of tape. Maybe it's a, a, a live character. There's a bit on tonight about Kobe Bryant. Um, so there might be specific needs, but other times you might see Matt in the bathroom and you just be like, you know, I had this idea, blah, blah, blah. And it's, you're producing it that day. You know, it's an hour. It's just conversational. Sometimes in the bathroom with Matt. Yeah. 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 But there's, we should also say that please leave the bathroom. bathroom. (laughs) Jesse, it's an open invitation. It's just, we we should, one thing that we kind of forgot to say is that with sketch, there is also, there's this kind of second part of it, like the desk pieces, which are things that you kind of. They're refillable things, uh, like celebrity surveys is one that we have. Um, and they're things that they're kind of known quantities, 
things that like vehicles that you know you can fill with jokes and you kind of have those you always have a sort of reserve of jokes for one or two desk, desk pieces at the ready so those are things are like kind of yeah like you can have them you call you them joke, they're gonna joke work. buckets yeah basically. Like joke and buckets you just they are. you can <laughs> just keep refilling them you know end on end and um you know when you do four shows a week you know yeah. You kind of depend on 46 weeks a year. You kind of sometimes need those sort of go to, you know, little just some framework just for celebrity or political jokes to do. Right. Um, But one thing I will say about sketch um, and mono too, the the show is um, at its core primarily just very reactive to the news, to the, you know, kind of the national, the national conversation. And also as we're talking about just reactive in conversation to, something we're discussing about colorectal. We're talking about colorectal disease like people do. And then, so let's build a giant owl that teaches you about it. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but we're also, turning into a public health awareness yeah. show. By the end of the year, we want to tackle all the diseases. Who here is over 40? Uh, yeah, the other cool thing is, um, I, and I don't know if it's like this on every show, but the writers, it cuts both ways. Like you pitch an idea and if someone likes it, and they say, go ahead and do it. You have to produce the whole thing yourself, which yeah, yeah. is, it's really exciting. Sometimes you can get bogged down and go, oh God, why did I ever pitch this idea? But, <laughs> but if it goes well, you really feel like, wow, I, I ordered, you really order up every prop, every, every, you cast it, you edit it. And so there's pride and ownership. And also yeah. I think it makes things more unique. Like mm-hmm. you hear different writers' voices, yeah. which I think is a cool thing. Is yeah, that, you have a tremendous amount of autonomy yeah. for this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, you just kind of go. Is there is there a reason for that? It seems unusual. I don't know if it's unusual in late night, but, I, but how did that come to be? It came from uh, Saturday Night Live. So Conan left Saturday Night Live, and the first head writer was Robert Smigel, and they just, that's what they learned at SNL, and that's how SNL still survives, or still thri- goes, and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lurches forward. Leah, the therapist, you want to take this? <laughs> Continues on. And uh, Scott no, was on the ocean for floor. Edit. Pause, pause for edit. So you were, but, th- you were saying <laughs> this isn't being televised. So that you know, they just said, "Let's go with that model." Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious to hear, and and Matt, we'll start with you. You know, you've been with the show now seven years, as you said. Tell me about writing Conan's voice. I mean, it's interesting, even just in these first five minutes, you guys have talked about what is right for the show and what isn't right for the show. How have you discovered that? And how do you, as the new head writer, how do you put your stamp on it as well? Um, I, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of trial and error as I'm sure everybody here would agree. You know, you, you pitch a lot of, a lot of ideas. Um, and you, we, you know, Conan, it, a lot of it is coming from rehearsal you know, Conan is very hands-on in rehearsal, and you see his reaction um, right there to every idea. And so you see what he likes and what he immediately rejects, you know, and you become very attuned to those biorhythms a little bit. Um, in fact, you, yeah. It, you it, start it, to flinch. Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, you literally wake up screaming. Um, it's like a shock collar. Yeah. It, it is. So a lot of it is, um, I'd say... Uh, I mean, and to his credit, he's very, he wants to be involved in the process. So um, everything we bring him, we'll definitely bring him a rehearsal, way more material than we'll need for that day's show. Because some of it, um, 
some of it, you know, maybe we're not sure, but it's worth taking a swing in rehearsal, you know, with a, maybe it's an idea that's a little offbeat or we're not exactly sure how it's going to come together. Um, sometimes it fails miserably and we have a nice quiet moment and then we move on to the next idea. Uh, other times, you know, you go and you think, oh, I don't know, but then it does, then he loves it. Um, so you just try to, you, you sort of just be, uh, the more trial and error you have with those ideas, the more you sort of become attuned to what he likes and, and doesn't like, if that it, makes sense. Yeah. Is there a way, you know, you have people, you know, Leah's been here two months, but is there a way to paint that target for a new person coming in? I, I don't think there's any way to entirely explain it. No, you just have to, another, you know, as we were talking about how guys produce their own pieces, another uh, cool freedom is at least just sort of they come up with the idea and it's like okay just go do it and then you get to rehearsal and this is what you've got so um it i think puts a ton of responsibility on the writer to you know live or die by their own instincts so i think that's how it's sort of forged so it just takes time we also almost always rehearse with more than we're going to have in the show yeah you know which is which i don't know i don't know how all the other shows do it but you know sometimes a good third or half uh, yeah. of the material gets gets just thrown out yeah. yeah it used to be this is what was we were rehearsing this is what we're doing on the show and you started that trend yeah of, uh, oh of getting more stuff i would wet my pants every day. It was awful. So, uh, but back then it was, was like, it, was it awful because things were being thrown away or, or he, no, the, the hard part would be also back in New York, uh, things tended to have like, they'd be crazy, much more moving parts, eight or nine live beats within one piece. And if you'd rehearse it, it was like a mini, it was more of a mini play. And then, you had to fix it invariably and you had to rewrite it. You had to get it to cue cards. The director had to read it, had to mark up the script. And meanwhile, it's, it's like a newspaper coming out every day. Like at four thirty, the, the show starts. So a lot of times it's four ten, and we haven't rehearsed it again and the crowds being held. So it, it got, it could get rather stressful. So then I was like, well, maybe if we had, Something extra, you know, you could just push this to the next day can and you, have more time. Can you remember, like, a very close call you had with a day where you were kind of wondering at 4.15, do we have a show? Oh, well, no, by then, usually it's during the show, I wondered, do we have a show? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's like, oh, I guess we didn't have a show. Oh, well, what are we doing tomorrow, guys? Yeah, but, that is kind of the nice thing. Yeah, no I remember one will with ever Smigel. Remember well, yeah, right. with, with Robert, it was usually with Robert Smigel from Late Night. I remember when Triumph was there. I remember sitting. There was a little like writers' room with a copier just right outside of Six A, and it was a Triumph appearance. And uh, or maybe it was a clutch cargo. It might have been or, a clutch cargo. It was clutch a clutch cargo. cargo. Yeah, it was more clutch cargo. It was clutch cargo. That was the thing where, like, you know, Bill Clinton's face would be there and the lips would be moving. It would be a close up of Robert. And it, we would tape at five thirty in New York, and it was like five twenty, and they're marking up the script, and I'm new, and I was just like, "We're going to be in trouble. We can't. We're, it's not going to work. There's people out there. What do we do?" And he was completely unflappable, and probably handed in the script that you know, 529, and then it got on. He wouldn't worry um, that much about what time the show started. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was kind of everyone else's You're. you're right. I was going to answer just about Conan's voice. I mean, well, I remember him saying one time, like, 
I wonder how old he would have been, but the first time he saw in Police Squad, any fans of Police Squad? Remember that? Remember like the opening credits when, uh, you know, John Wilkes Booth fires at Lincoln and Lincoln, his hat blows off and he gets up and fires back. (laughs) I remember Conan saying like, I didn't know things could be that funny. So something that absurd and crazy, I think is like, Plus, per- love historical base. He loves historical okay. stuff. I think yeah. his voice is a smart absurdist, mm-hmm. and so when I came into the show, I was like, "I can do whatever I dream up. I can just bring it down to rehearsal, and we'll be on the show soon." No, because he's seen eight million Lincoln-related ideas. He's seen, you know, twenty-seven thousand Gandhi ideas. So. He's seen all this stuff, but he still loves to be surprised by things that are absurd and different. And you bring one Gandhi idea to rehearsal a day. (laughs) (laughs) Andy Blitz, maybe. But um, so I think that's what we aim for is, you know, smart and weird stuff that he hasn't seen before. And. And, yeah, and usually it works, or um, sometimes it works. I, I want to hear, and I know these guys want to hear about how you all wound up on the show. And let's start down here with Andre. What were you doing before? What was your comedy background? And then how did you get on the show? And uh, Mike, I think you probably hired a lot of these guys. I, I, uh, I guess I did. So if you could, if you can, re- <laughs> if you can Thanks, recall Mike. and sort of uh, if you remember their submissions or what struck you about them at the time. Yeah. Um, let's, let's start with Andre here. Yeah. You want us to leave the room, right, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want me to talk about my... Uh... Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, I was in, uh, based in New York City. So from, I want to say from like 1997 through 2007, I did the whole work shitty day jobs, uh, do comedy at night thing for about 10 years. Um, on what I guess you would call the alternative comedy scene of New York City. So not not really performing at comedy clubs so much, but a lot of bars and small theaters and mostly shows run by other comedians, um, and all the places you know all the places that I used to love performing don't even exist anymore, like uh, Rafifi and Luna Lounge and a bunch of other places. Um, so a lot of places on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And then uh, in 2007, I got a job on a show called Talk Show with Spike Ferriston. That was my first writing job. And that was like a, a short-lived talk show on Fox. Was he hiring stand-ups primarily? Is that how he found you? Uh, no, I got that. I, I, well, if, it seems like a lot of comedy writers are stand-ups or sketch performers originally, just by coincidence. But um, he, how did I get that job? <laughs> My friend Adam Felber, who's now a writer for Real Time with Bill Maher, was leaving that job to go work for Bill Maher, and he's put a good word in for me to take his place. And right. basically that's how I got it. And, and you know, I had to write a packet and that was actually one of the more involved writing packets I've ever had to do. You had to write a ton of full sketches and stuff. Um, so yeah, that was my first gig. And then uh, in between two seasons on that show, I worked for best week ever on VH one for one cycle, one summer. That was, that was fun. That wasn't really a writing job, more of a producing job. And then um, in fall of 2008, Eight, that's when I got hired at Conan. Um, and I think, I mean, Mike can speak about it, but like, I think how I got the job was that like almost the entire writing staff already knew who I was just from being on the same comedy scene mm-hmm. as me for, you know, a gazillion years. And uh, I had made some, some uh, video stuff on the Spike Ferriston show that I was really proud of. And so, 
and I had submitted multiple packets to Coney. It, it was the bats the video. The, the, the imaginary bats home gym. Yes. That's what. That's what. Yeah. What, what is that? Can you tell us that? I've never seen it. It was a, it was a, a commercial parody I did for Spike Ferrison, which was just it's called the imaginary bats home gym. It's just a pill you take. <laughs> When it kicks in, you see, you see bats attacking you, and you fight them off. <laughs> and you work, and you burn calories just by fighting off imaginary bats. Hired. Yeah. So yeah. And the rest is yeah. You know, and do you? History. You said you filled out, you submitted packets. Did you submit a few times? Uh, to Conan, yeah, I probably, yeah. probably three or four. That's interesting. Um, so Mike yeah. passed on, <laughs> on a few of those. Oh, he customarily sure. burns. Yeah. I waited for bats. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I, think, I mean, and that's not unusual, right? Like, well, no, I mean, the, sure the first several, have... I didn't have any representation. Um, oh, really? I don't, I don't know if they ever got seen or anything. You know. Oh, interesting. I think they probably all also weren't that good. But, <laughs> but sometimes it takes a few. Yeah. Uh, great. Levi. Hey. Um, so I, uh, I was in, in Canada for a long time. and uh, <laughs> so It sounds our, like he's apologizing. Uh, <laughs> it's just, that's our tone. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Calgary, so I was in Toronto for 10 years uh, to do stand-up and sketch and writing on a lot of our favorite shows, Beachcombers, The Raccoons, Larry's House of Frightenstein. Uh, open mic with Mike Bollard, Hot Box, Pop Cultured with Elvira Kurt. Um, all the hits. And then... Not the first move. time Beachcombers has come up. I will say oh, that. that. Oh, yeah. good. Hold on. Uh, and then in 2009, I think I was about to move to New York... And then you were what? Uh, <laughs> said it's New York, isn't it? It's, All right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was about to move to New York, and uh, I got hired to write for Dimitri Martin's sketch show in LA off of stand up. He, he saw some stand up stuff I'd done online and asked me to submit a packet. So I changed my plans, moved to LA, and then when that show wrapped, I went on the road opening for Dimitri and from, I was touring with him when I submitted a packet for this, for when I got, so I knew some of the guys, I met two or three of the writers through stand-up stuff. But. Can you talk about, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of these folks may not have experienced what a packet is. What, what, is, what was the content uh, that was being asked for when you submitted? I think the one that I had was, it was pretty open. It was um, asking for like one or two desk pieces and, it, it gave you the freedom to pick, I think, you know, a couple of the refillable pieces that you knew, submit to that, mm-hmm. and then give, like, an idea for a Conan remote, um, and then just, uh, I think, like, some drawings and sketches. What did we actually have to do for... Um, <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of hockey just, cards. Where, yeah. <laughs> what show is this for? Uh, does anyone remember? I mean, you're looking at it. It's really now, generic. It was now. a really open. I just remember it being ten to fifteen ideas. Yeah, oh, wow. literally yeah. like ten to fifteen it's ideas. 10, ten to fifteen ideas in paragraph form, basically. Yeah. Really, right? Um, yeah. Not, not new ideas. Don't don't mention things we already do on the show. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so do you remember was, the content yeah. of any of your uh, packet pitches? Oh, I, the only thing I remember is that, um, there was one pitch about an intern that we discovered there is we'd noticed there was an intern who was hired to take photographs around the studio and they, they seemed a bit off. And so we, Conan goes through a bunch of them and he notices that the interns doing selfies around the studio with celebrities, but they keep getting further and further away. And then I don't know if I ever told how this, but it was, so they discover that he has like elastic arms. Cause there's one picture where it's like up from the rafters <laughs> taken. So Conan confronts 
And then later, totally unrelated. I know we ended up doing this Mr. Fantastic bit that Todd came up with, and I ended up playing Mr. Fantastic taking this long arm <laughs> selfie of Conan and Andy at Comic Con. Um, Finally, so that, that closure. Yeah, That's great. <laughs> it all came full, and now I'm done, and I no longer work for the show. Uh, um, move, moving down the line. Um, I started out doing stand-up in 19... 19- <laughs> 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 19? 1918? <laughs> <laughs> and um, got into writing. Um, I just, I, I don't... I, I started when Dennis Miller had his first... Uh, he had a syndicated show briefly, and I started just faxing jokes in. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> And I realized that um, I just I I prefer writing to performing. Just you know, let somebody else die with my jokes. <laughs> and um, then I just I, I wrote for variety shows. I wrote on uh, Dennis Miller's HBO program with Jose, which is where I met him, and uh, another associate of ours, Rob Kuttner, very talented gentleman. And um, I was at Dennis Miller until two thousand. And then I kind of uh, got sidetracked and went back to school and got my master's degree and did an internship and got my MFT license and started practicing. And I, but I just realized I'm, I'm not done. I started I, I, around a couple of years ago, I began posting jokes on my Facebook page and um I emailed uh, Rob and I said, you know, I'm not done. I I think I need to get back in the game. If there's ever anything on Conan, can you let me know? And, you know, I submitted several packets a couple of times. And then they had an opening um, last year in the fall. And Rob let me know. And I submitted, I was asked to submit a couple pages of jokes. And I handed it in and forgot about it and kind of wrote it off and just said, oh, well, I guess I better put in for more clients at the center. <laughs> I guess I better get cards printed up and do a website. And then I got a call and I got the job. That's fine. So who who reviewed uh, her packet? I we I you were just starting, yeah. so we kind of split it up. Mm-hmm. But there were like two hundred, two hundred forty, just for the monologue, just for the monologue. So we read all two hundred forty, and we <laughs> cut it down to a, a group of twenty, and then we handed them out among all the monologue writers and and made them anonymous mm-hmm. uh, to eliminate, you know, because people know each other, sure. et cetera, et cetera, and. Um, yeah, then uh, I think we picked the right number. Let me just go back to Leah. Is that how therapists feel about their patients? <laughs> wow. I'm horrified. I'm imagining you like checking premises during sessions. That seems totally natural. That's... <laughs> well, but I, I do between. I mean, I'm really. I still see clients. I like it. I like my clients. No, I they enjoy. Are Wait, is, is that true? Doing. Yeah. Do you still see clients? I do, on Saturdays. Can you tell us stories about no, ones you don't see? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Ones... 
You're gonna you were gonna ask her that anyway. I was. And I told you I'd cut it out later. Only these people will hear. <laughs> uh moving on, Jose. Hi. Uh so yes, um I started my TV career uh by by joining Dennis Miller Live's HBO HBO show, uh Dennis Miller Live. Uh well what happened was I was working in a sketch comedy troupe in North Carolina. As God is my witness, this is a true story. Uh, I was working in a sketch comedy theater in North Carolina, and Carrot Top's prop maker, <laughs> I, on my mother, was from Charlotte, North Carolina. And They're saw, all made out of wood. <laughs> so the prop maker saw me, and he put down his hot glue gun and said, you know, I know somebody at Dennis Miller. They know, they, there's a writer opening and you should submit. And, uh, and so I, at the time, I, was, I t- took a VC, you know, VHS. I copied down Dennis Miller's show, and I counted the number of mono jokes. I counted the number of jokes in his rants, and then at the, the final photo funnies that he used to do. And, um, and at the time, I, I was also a faxer, but for Jay Leno's Tonight Show, this is now illegal or whatever, but uh, at the time, he had a fax n- a number where you could submit jokes to the tonight show and if he did them on the air you would get a 50 dollars check and yeah it was like so so for years i was submitting uh mono jokes to the tonight show anonymously you know uh they owned them all and all that but i had a stack of paper of of just jokes that i'd been writing over the years and that kind of strengthened me you know you just you get better at this through through repetition so i uh i wrote instead of one packet for dennis i wrote two and I mailed two off, and, and that was the way I got, I got on board. Then Dennis Miller's show ended, and I said, oh, I'll just go over to Bill Maher, because he was down the hall, and, and then Bill Maher said something about how the 9-11 attackers were not cowards, and they killed his show. <laughs> so then I was out of a job, and then uh, my agent said that they were interviewing over at Conan, so I, I flew out. And I got to meet Mike Sweeney, who I had known from briefly from stand-up in New York ten years ago or something. And uh, and so, did you remember me at the interview? I I did. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't know if I could just see your face. I, no, we we had I, only done got one, your money. We had done one I, show together, a college yes, show yes, together. Yes, yes, yes. But I, and I absolutely yes. Anyway, uh, yes, and you were. People just raved about um, people from the Dennis Miller show called and recommended you. I know they said, and you're the the conduit to Carrot Top. So that's that's a long way. Everybody has a different way in, but that was my circuitous way to Conan. It's interesting to me. I mean, presumably in the sketch group, you were writing and performing, yes? Uh, Yes, Uh, absolutely, yeah. So then when it came time to actually, like, put stuff down in a different format, you went and sort of reverse engineered the show. That must have been an amazing learning experience. Yes. Well, you have to write for someone else's voice on TV. So, so one of the things you do is sort of be, you become a good mimic. Um, and what you think is funny and, and what you, know, you hope to find what you think is funny that the, that the host thinks is funny as well. Um, but that, that's part of the, of the skill is yeah. to be a mimic. So. That, that's a great way to Speaking of someone's voice, if you're doing a submission... Uh, to more than one show, make sure you spell check all the names. Like, if if you submit to Bill Maher, don't leave one of the bills in when you resubmit it to Conan. <laughs> Which pe- people do that a lot. Yeah, and, and I, I mean it's to be expected, of course. 
But it does. You're just like. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I had been writing for some smaller comedy variety shows for a while, um, like The Soup on E! and then uh, The Dish, which was, they decided they needed a soup for women. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, not kidding. Uh, and then I was the head writer on The Dish, and that show, uh, surprisingly, was on for three and a half years. Um, and then it got canceled, and then I bounced around and wrote on some pilots, and I wrote for pop-up video when it came back on VH1. Um, I hope that was a sigh of ecstasy I heard in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, I ended up, I, I had submitted to Conan at one point, and then I ended up writing on um, what an old Conan writer, Dion Cole, briefly had a show on TBS called Black Box. And uh, it was really funny. It was, he hosted basically a clip show where, he was kind of ranting about... I, I mean, Dion has a very specific point of view, and he, he's always he sort of takes the opposite side that you think he's going to take a lot, and it's, he has a sort of surprising take on things. Um, so that show only lasted 10 weeks, but it introduced me to a bunch of people at the Conan family, and so then I got wind that somebody was leaving... And I submitted again. And I, I don't even know if they put out an, a call for submissions that time. I don't know. Uh, there were, I mean, there was giant, there's always a giant, it, was there a giant kind of file? rolling oh, yeah. folder. So okay. there, there's always kind of an ongoing, tons of, lots of submissions to look at. What, what were you doing before the soup and the dish? What, were you a stand-up? Uh, you know, I was doing improv at UCB and videos and I wrote and produced a web series with a bunch of friends and, um, and then I was a PA. I, I PA'd at various shows and was writing and always like everywhere I was, I would tell my bosses, you know, I want to write and, um, and then I, I think was an associate producer on the soup and then got promoted there and kind of got brought up in that family. And these are a lot of, I mean, while they are all still the talk format, there are a lot of different sorts of shows or a lot of different tones and kinds of humor. Is there a reason, you know, Conan is the right voice for your, what you like in comedy? Um, that's a great question. I, 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 I watched Conan in college and it was, uh, I just always really connected. I don't know. He has a very, he's a really smart, kind of um, quirky sense of humor, and it, it feels very timeless. It was never rooted necessarily in, like, any sort of comedy of the moment, like a trend that was taking place. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, Conan was always my benchmark, I think, and that was what I had aspired to, and now that I've reached that, I don't really know what else <laughs> is left sure. to hope for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, now it's just a slow march towards death. <laughs> um, I, I was also a stand-up in New York and very good friends with uh, Andre and Todd, and we performed together at places like, you mentioned, Luna Lounge. And also, Andre had his own show that he put up every week, which was, I love the title, it was called Giant Tuesday Night of Amazing Inventions, and also there is a game. <laughs> which, I, which And he... And he 
hosted the whole thing in character, and so I used to love doing that. But um, yeah, I was mostly a stand-up, and I did stand-up on Conan actually um, in 1999, and I was convinced that I would be hired to be a writer the next week. <laughs> Cut to five years later, and uh, I found myself in an interview with uh, Conan and Sweeney, and I thought to myself, wow, this is the only all-Irish showbiz meeting <laughs> happening in America. And, and then and Conan shut the door with a remote control, like a villain, <laughs> which just, just, just killed me. Um, but I did submit... I, this was the show for me. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I interviewed with another friend at Letterman, and... It was the, I was I remember going up the elevator. I was like, "This is this is it. This is going to happen. This is great." I watched the show since I was ten, and then they said, "Well, we're not uh, we're not hiring anyone. We're just meeting with people whose packets we liked." And I just my whole body just went like this. And Tucker was smart and, and continued to be conversational, and I was just like, oh, "I'm done. I'm done. I'm over." So I, after that, I just swore off Letterman and just saw Conan and and. I really thought that was a place that I might be able to work. And I, I loved the, the writers that were on the show. I loved the, the actors that they used. They, they were really, they really felt like a late night really felt like a local New York show in some ways, because uh, the casting person who's now at, I believe she's actually at Kimmel now, Cecilia Pleva really was tuned into UCB. So you'd, you'd see people like Amy Poehler, you'd see people like, like Matt Walsh and, and all these funny people. And my closest friend in the stand-up community, uh, comedy community that got to Conan first was Andy Blitz. I don't know if you guys know Andy Blitz, but hilarious guy. What, what would he have written for most recently? Like Review, review Master maybe? Of so, Master of None, Review. Just a really hilarious guy. Um, review, for those of you, for those of you trying to start out and stand up, and he, he's an inspiring story because he was a guy who would just sit on a stool like this, and he'd be, you know, he'd do his set like this, and people would be it'd be a good time to get a drink when Andy Blitz was on stage, and then and, and uh, yeah, and no one would listen to him, and then and then gradually people started listening to him, and he was hilarious. But he he started casting me in bits. So just, I think any association with a show where people are like, oh yeah, I know that guy. That's I think my it, first experience with the show was being cast in one of his bits too. Mm-hmm. I played a Greek tennis player. Yeah. <laughs> even though, even though yeah. I'm not Greek and I can't play tennis. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so just kind of being in the mix. And yes, I was one of those people who submitted multiple times. And I remember that time I got the interview, I wasn't hired. They hired... Two great writers instead, Dimitri Martin and Dan Gore. And I was just like, fuck! Like, what do I do? This is not gonna happen. But then um, then Allison Silverman uh, left the show, and she's a hilarious writer, producer. And uh, I was hired at the end of 05. And I've been able to write and still act in bits, which I love doing. It's, it, been it's so interesting fun. to me, you know, going back and, and just hearing the beginning of that story that while you were working as a stand up, you were also going on this other path, you know, in pursuing these these writing jobs. There's not really a question here. It's just a, a, an interesting thing. And, and, like, do you have to buckle down and do one? It seems like you're the lesson that you don't. I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. Do I have to just say... <laughs> it seems like you, you don't have to. You, you can stand do up both You know things. what? You can multitask. I feel like there's some stand-up people who are, like, they're already envisioning the opening credits to their sitcom. Yeah. And... 
I was, I was not one of those people. I, I wanted to make funny stuff. And, and, and this was absolutely a great way to stay in comedy. It was late night comedy. I've always been a huge fan since I was a kid. I used to, you know, I'd, I always say I would watch Carson with my dad, but then I would sneak back downstairs to watch Letterman. So just the whole after, you know, the whole 1230 area was just right in my wheelhouse for comedy. So I, I thought that stand up was absolutely a means to get on staff somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Dan, uh, kind of said, I, I was doing stand up for a while as well. Um, kind of in the same scene in New York city and, um, to, to answer that question about, you know, being able to do both like stand up and writing. I remember what happened with me was I, I always liked stand up because I, I was desperate for validation. Um, but I, but I, but I always thought of myself more as a writer than a standup. And I think at a certain point while I was doing standup, I just talked to my agent and said, I just want to start submitting to, to shows. It wasn't something I had thought about before that. I was just r- writing and creating and trying to get out there. And so I, I just started thinking like, this is k- kind of more what I want to do. I, I enjoy the writing part of it more. And I'd submitted for a few shows. And when I, when I, um, found out that Cone, uh, Late Night was hiring, I actually almost didn't submit because uh, I, my parents are very risk-aversive and uh, Leah, Leah can tell you more about this. Um, but I mean, I, I'm serious. Like, because I, 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 ador- I adored the show. Like, I was such a fan of the show that I really almost didn't submit because I was terrified. Um, um, and I'm glad I did. But, but the weird thing that happened was when I submitted my, my packet, I think it was like two weeks later is when the writer's strike happened. So, I know. Uh, so, and so it was almost a full year to the day that I heard from uh, my agent again about Late Night. And I don't think you had even seen my packet from the year before yet. And I, I think you were saying, like, I'll, I'll read it really quickly. Um, <laughs> And then I remember because I didn't have any experience writing for television. The only th- I, I, I was writing things and I'd freelanced at the Onion News Network for a little while, um, but I hadn't written for television before. So you had asked me to write another kind of like half a packet, I think, is what right. happened. Um, and then and I didn't hear anything for a while. Like uh, this, I think this is an experience a lot of people have. I didn't hear anything for long enough for me to think that there was no way I was ever going to work there. Like that's like, there's always like, you, you don't hear just that long. And then in the meantime, I, this one week, I, I think it was on a Monday or Tuesday, I got hired to write for the reboot of best week ever when Paul F. Tompkins was going to be the host. Um, I got hired for that. And then that same week, I think it was like that Friday of that week we had, I was right. I was working on a book pitch with a couple of friends of mine and we sold the pitch that day. And in the meeting, we found out that we sold it. I got a call from Sweeney telling me I'd been hired. You might say it was my best week ever. Uh, (laughs) Give it up, everybody. That was great. I think we're done. Well done. Uh, But yeah, it was was a very, very crazy, crazy experience. Todd wrote that two weeks ago. (laughs) You might have heard it on The Moth in 92. (laughs) Thank you. Mike, how did you get involved with the show? What were you doing before this show? Uh, I was a stand-up comic. <laughs> Shocking, different. Uh, for nine years in New York City. And, uh, you know, I... <laughs> but I loved that. I loved it. But then uh, 
I was I was just uh, these other comics the night they announced the day they announced Conan was taking over for Letterman, and I always remember because all these comedians, you know, Lord Michaels had looked at a lot of comedians to audition, and these comics were outraged that a writer had been hired, and it's like I was like, "Fuck you guys," you know? It's because they 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 there were some comedians who acted like. They were in a law firm. It's like, well, if you work really hard, you know, you can. And it's like, no, it's show business. Like <laughs> you, the, anything goes. So, but I, I was really excited. I, something drew me to the show. So I submitted and they bought one of my ideas and, um, but they didn't hire me and I was really bummed out. And then they hired. Wait, do you remember what that idea was? Yeah. It was, uh, this guy, Doug Llewellyn, who stood outside the people's court. <laughs> so, <laughs> Conan took him and went out. Uh, he had just left the people's court. So Conan took him to the New York city courthouse <laughs> to interview people coming out. And, uh, and they, they invited me to go down when they shot Robert Smigel called me and said, do you want to come? And I was, I was like, Oh, I'm go- I, I was terrified. Cause I'm like, what, what is going to come out? Of-? Like I knew I should go, but Conan was exactly the way he was really friendly and hilarious and Robert Smigel is really nice. And then there was this guy sitting on a bench who just didn't seem to give a shit about anything. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? And it was Andy Richter. <laughs> and he's there. Still he doing just that to this doesn't, day. he's the, like the camera being on him. That's a superpower though. Is that he oh, he has a super, it's a, and I, and I was just like, wow, who is this guy? And, um, so, and then I got out. Hey, I'm sorry. Look, uh, but it was my best week ever. What do I have to do? That's that. It's that comic's instinct to get mad when someone leaves. He asked me the question. Tough room. So uh, that was Andy's dog. But I didn't get hired. But so. <laughs> anyway, so then uh, I said. Uh, then there was a monologue opening, and they. Um, so they were hiring specifically for monologue, not just for staff. And they considered Even me for, well, I was, he was, I was sending jokes in that Conan oh. was doing in the monologue, uh, on speaker, like Louis CK was like, I knew him from stand up, and he was one of the original writers and he started getting me to, to send jokes in and they would call me on a speakerphone at two in the afternoon. And I was part of this meeting on a speakerphone <laughs> and it was I it was all, I was just freaking. It was really uncomfortable. It was not great. Um, and so they brought me in one day to do monologue jokes. They're like, "Oh, we're not sure." And I had to go away on a tour. And then they hired someone else. So I'm like, "It's never going to happen." And then Louis left the show and recommended me to do the warm up because he was doing the warm up. And so I did that. And then they said, "Do you want to submit?" And I was like, "I loved this warm up gig so much." <laughs> That I didn't want, like if I submitted and didn't get hired, I would be devastated and it would ruin the job going there every day, which I loved. But I, I did it. I worked all weekend on it and out of pity, they hired me. So, <laughs> and that was in uh, January of 95. So, uh, how long had the show been on the air at that point? Since September of 93. Oh. And right before I started working there, they were like week to week. They would, they would, be like, oh God, they renewed it for another week. And I, That's what I thought. Oh, it was insane. And then there, one day... Uh, uh, Wait, is that not the way everyone's contract <laughs> works here? <laughs> and one day there was a rumor 
that oh the show's been canceled and they had like an hour before the show and they still did the show and then it was like oh no we got another you know another week and so and right when i started they got their first six month extension and everyone was acting like it was a big deal and i was like <laughs> i don't what's the big deal you know but i i hadn't lived through right. any any of those but you horror had, stories it's interesting that you know you had even before getting hired as a writer you had been sort of involved and and knew enough people on the show. Was there even that early on a, a learning curve to what the show could be? Um, like, was, were they still figuring it out when you got there? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, well, no, it was pretty, it was pretty set by then, by night. night yeah. It was just, uh, they had set desk pieces and then there were just a lot of, you know, wonderfully wild sketches. And that was, it was pretty wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, if you pitch an idea, people liked it, you did it. And then there's stuff you do collaboratively. And But the thing back then is we we would be there. Like, I stopped doing stand-up the day I started there because we would be there till one in the morning every night. And I couldn't I couldn't do – like, I used to work seven nights a week, and I, I just couldn't do it. And, and um, the hours have gotten better <laughs> over the years. But back then, I it's so long ago – if you edited a, a remote, it was tapes, separate tapes for each camera. It, it was okay. it was primitive, and actually producing stuff required more time just sure. being there. Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Matt, let's finish this up with you, then I have a couple more questions, and we'll get to you guys. Uh, how did you get involved with it's the show? What were you doing just before? Uh, I uh, Just before I got hired at the show, yeah. I actually... Um, I worked with Andre on that uh, talk Ferris? show with Spike Ferriston show. Um, and then uh, actually, I guess the way I got involved with the show was I be- even before that, sorry, I, I wrote jokes for Robert Smigel for um, Triumph, the insult comic dog, um, just as like an outside contributor. And, um, and he, was he doing it on Conan? He was doing it on Conan, but he also, um, when I met him, it was right around the time he was releasing a DVD of the best of triumph. And he was going on like 25 talk shows and he needed insults for all 25 hosts of these, of like, for like the people on crossfire and O'Reilly and like last comment. So he just needed, he needed a, a complete avalanche of, of insults. So, um, he let me submit jokes to, uh, to him and he used some of them on, uh, those illustrious shows, as I mentioned. And then I started writing on those cartoons that he did on Saturday Night Live, like the ambiguously gay duo, and just pitching little jokes and ideas for that. So then he ultimately um, recommended me to Mike. Um, And that's basically how I got involved in the show. But I I knew Andre from Talk Show and um, other... I I knew you guys, you know, a little bit from around the city, various uh, clubs that we would go to. Oh, we hit all uh, the clubs. The, it, all the clubs. <laughs> laugh, laughs. Laugh, laughs. The zinger room. Uh, Man, amongst, a- you know. Um, so, yeah, that's basically how. Uh, so I, I owe um, my relationship to the show uh, to Smigel. Just give me a chance to write jokes for him. Yeah, so it's just a lucky, lucky break. And I assume, you know, in addition to the recommendation, you submitted. A yeah, project. I submitted. Um, I got hired on my fourth time. Oh, my wow. fourth fourth time around. Do you remember so, anything from that packet? Um, I remember. I, I remember that there was there was one idea. I think we even tried. To, 
to get it on its feet at one point, that there was a um, there was a gay cruiser on the late night set, and that um, Conan's uh, underneath Conan's bleachers was the new the new Central Park Rambles. <laughs> so that's where. <laughs> So, so there was this guy sort of going through all these different signals that you would give people if you wanted to meet them underneath the bleachers. And then eventually, uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, ended up... Ass kisser. Yeah. Uh, it was right when... I, there was a story in the news. There was that whole... Uh, it was almost like a whole year where every newspaper wrote a think piece about how Lincoln was depressed and gay. Uh, so I thought I should definitely put that on my submission packet. Um, and uh, anyway, I don't think that I don't think we ever got that on the show. Um, but I remember uh, that was probably why you hired me, right? It was for that that idea. <laughs> um, gay men under the bleachers. Yes. That was a real keeper. <laughs> Who, uh, who among you was around for the transition to The Tonight Show? Yeah. I was. All right. So m- most of you were. Can, can any of you talk about that? I know it's sort of been talked to death. but It sucked. That had to be, that had to be a huge you know, rethink of the show and, and what Conan could do. And you know, I, I know there's so much involved. What can you say about it that, that we haven't heard, maybe? Uh, you do this, Sweeney. Oh, my fault, eh? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, Conan wanted to not rely on stuff he did in New York. And so, um, and then it, you know, we were tr- trying to find our way. And I, I, he, like, for a while, it was like, oh, let's do, you know, quick, flashy things up top. But, but it would be kind of quick hits. Which was a little different, and it um, so it was like I, we were kind of shifting back and forth. All right, quick hits, quick hits, and um, I, I didn't before we we were seven months in, and all I know is we were all stunned that that we were only given seven months. Like that never occurred to any of us that it just didn't occur to us that we wouldn't be allowed to get our sea legs because I, I think we we're all confident that we would. F- figure it out. I, I, I certainly, I wasn't like, Oh my God, what's going to, ha-? it was like the, 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 the really upsetting thing was the day I remember they called us into the office and Conan called me in and said, uh, Jane Leno, they just gave a show at 10 PM. And I was like, Oh, that's not, that's awful. I mean, I mean, that's just bad. It's like a, he's going to do the exact same show. And, and we were just like, well, okay, well, let's just go and do, you know, we can't worry about that. We just have to worry about the show we're doing and, uh, which is what we tried to do. So, but yeah, it was just a, it was a weird. stunner. It was very, the job was so that weird. That was really weird. I, I mean, you the had, the whole time was strange. I thought that we were in this, you know, when you go down, uh, by universal, there's that kind of white building in the front. The whole thing just felt like if you pressed on the walls, it would just disappear and fall over. Like everything felt temporary. It was, I Flimsy. felt it was, it was kind of and odd. The studio it just was didn't feel big. right. We were all nervous and uptight. And we're like, are we, are we doing the right show? Are we do-? I just felt it was tense. And it, it, I think about that show in relation to the one we're doing now, because yeah. I'm so relieved that we have our own place on the WB lot where we can r- relax and have fun. It was, it felt like the opposite of that, to be honest. It, it, so, no one's 
fault. I guess it was just a, a high profile. There's it a wasn't, lot of pressure on that from, pressure. from a bunch of it. It's just yeah. pressure from all over the place, yeah. yeah. And a weird thing keeps happening, which is sometimes someone will bring up something we did on The Tonight Show and no one will remember it. I'm not kidding. Like, we, all blocked, all of, we all blocked it out. We all blocked it. Like, it was like a seven-month blackout period. Like, sometimes you'll get flashes. Like, I'll, I'll remember like, a statue being pushed into the studio and going, why did that happen? Uh, but it's true. Like, like, something will come up and we'll be like, oh, did we do that tonight show? And nobody will even remember. Like, it's so there was weird. some good stuff, though. One of, my yeah, favorite, one of my favorite things Conan's ever done was, was, was on The Tonight Show where he put a disguise on and played this guy named... Uh, William Stewart, Stewart Wex- Wexler. Just Stuart Wexler, yeah. And uh, Todd, you helped produce that, yeah, right? Yeah. It was so funny. We did, a, it was, we did a focus group with a bunch of retired people on Conan O'Brien. So it was yeah. like, we went to a real focus group facility. Conan was in all this latex prosthetic makeup. All these older people who probably had no idea who Conan O'Brien really even was were <laughs> sat down at a conference room table and watched videotape of the most grating moments of Conan O'Brien. Just hor- a shrill, grating clips of him. And then he would ask them for their impressions. And he played it like he hated Conan more than any of any of them. That was the thing. It was Which so much true. true. Yeah, that was so much fun. Oh, man. Yeah, he just baited everybody. Like, yeah. It's funny. I mean, that sounds like the most Conan piece you could think of. Yeah. And it, it feels like that's the stuff. And, and I'll ask you to talk about the transition to TBS about that. You're finally allowed to do is embrace that Conan voice again, mm-hmm. as he did in the early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I assume um, most of you were there for that transition as well. Uh, can you yeah. talk about that? Um, and the relief of it? Well, the weird thing was that feeling of the tonight show ending and then, you know, wondering, okay, my, my leaving the, the Conan group now? Am I going to look at other things, which I'm sure we all did? Or is there another job coming? And then we heard about TBS. What? Um, We're joking like we're going to be on the Golf Channel or something like that. (laughs) Um, But there's something really inviting about the Warner Brothers lot and having our own soundstage. It felt like we were rescued. It really did. And and it just was like, oh, we're, the band's back together. This is good. And there was this kind of blue sky period where we could just come up with literally anything we wanted. And we had all this new stuff about making fun of basic cable and making fun of where we were that, you know, Conan was saying like, okay, we were just on a big, he, he, this was an analogy. I don't know if this works or not, but it was one that he liked that, okay, we were on this giant cruise ship. Now we're just on this little pirate ship so we can kind of scoot around and do whatever we want. We're like, okay, I think that makes sense. So it was a relief. I think, it, I think TBS was so excited about landing Conan after such a high-profile uh, situation that they basically just said, do whatever you want. We don't care. We're just happy you're here. Um, and that's what, kind of what the show has become a little bit, which yeah, is Yeah, I was nice. going to ask, is it still that? Do you guys get shut down on things? What is the relationship with the network? The, you, you mean, oh, the only one who shuts anything down is Conan, but he's, <laughs> he's brutal. Yeah. He'll, he'll shit on a, a setup to a tape piece. So before, before you even he'll get see to the somebody, comedy piece, he's yeah. ripped the syntax apart or a redundant word. I mean, he's just, he's the only one, I believe, we have to get past. There's, yeah. 
the best no feeling in the notes. world is when he starts shooting on the setup. Oh, man. Yes. And then the bit turns out to be hilarious. And, and you beat him. And you've won him over. Yes. 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 And to his credit, he's like, well, that's that's going on the show. Yeah. 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 The- he half jokes that he roots against the yes. writers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There, there, really are. Oh, there was a he piece. someone in the audience dressed in what he perceives to be a costume during rehearsal. Oh, he's he saw Levi like, in a lab coat <laughs> yes. Yes. before rehearsal. No, my favorite is, I think it was a bit that you were doing, Jose, but he, he comes out into the, you know, into the performance area and there's a green screen with a bunch of seagulls just hanging around. And he just goes, can't wait to cut this. <laughs> he's just like, And it made it in. It made but, it in. He still has spot. There, there's something he, he would always used to do. If he added a joke to a piece and oh. the piece goes on, and if it got a really big laugh, he'd, it, you can't tell watching the show, but he'd look over at me and go, <laughs> and then go right back into it. It's like, oh my God. Oh. Uh, all right, let's get. He literally does yeah. that on tonight's show. <laughs> if you tune in, you'll oh, see the, it. The plan thing, right? The plan thing. Just, oh, yeah. He looks That's over and he goes, yeah. 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 <laughs> he yeah, he had to added a second part to this piece and yeah. Yeah. What what if all the questions were about Obamacare? That'd be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, like, just like how to yeah. enroll. This guy needs a therapist. This is the wrong town hall. <laughs> FreshBooks is dead simple cloud accounting software that's saving millions of freelancers from the scourge of dealing with their day-to-day admin and paperwork. Yeah, I said scourge. It's the perfect word to describe agonizing tasks like formatting and tracking invoices, managing cash flow, dealing with expense reports, chasing late payments, other things. Nobody likes to do this stuff, except maybe the 5 million freelancers and small business owners already using FreshBooks. Invoicing. It literally takes about 30 seconds to create and send a really professional-looking invoice. Your clients can pay you online, which you can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. Late payment reminders. If a client forgets to pay you on time, FreshBooks will handle the awkwardness with customizable late payment reminders. Need more? Expense. FreshBooks has also cracked the code on expense tracking. You can set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts, so next time you use your debit card for that business lunch, the transactions magically appear in your FreshBooks account. It's not actual magic. For a 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com slash writers. Enter Nerdist Writers panel in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, 30-day free trial. Go to freshbooks.com slash writers. Enter Nerdist Writers panel in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And get yourself some FreshBooks. Um, As a student, do you have any recommendations for students to transition into the real world adult entertainment world? Adult entertainment world. We believe you're a student. Come back here, I'll show you. You didn't have to wear the backpack. We believe you're a student. Or the pants. We're going to a pool. We're going to a pool party in Northridge tomorrow. You can come along. Um, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, I would say. He's he's asking about a student transitioning into the real world. For one thing. I, you know, I'm a I'm a father of 12 year old girls, and i i think I think kids aren't allowed to fail. I think 
no one's, everyone's so afraid of failure. So I would say take some chances on what you want to work on when you're writing or performing, whatever it is. Don't be afraid for it to be awful because maybe your next thing will be better. That's, I think that's my big advice. And then uh, I remember I used to be really kind of vain and, and worried about like who was in the room, who was at the comedy club, are there agents there? It's the least of your worries when you're in your 20s. You have to, you have to experiment and become good and then other things will come. Beta blockers. I would also say... <laughs> Uh, say yes to any opportunity that comes up until you can afford to say no. And if it's not something that sounds directly related to what you want to eventually be doing, that's okay because it might you might find that it tangentially gets you there, but it, everything's going to be a good experience and you just need to meet as many people as you can and and be creating a network for yourself. So don't feel like, oh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to take that job because it's not exactly the exact perfect thing for me. Because uh, I've seen that happen before and then people end up regretting that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I, I'm sure we all left out, you know, a hundred shitty little gigs that we decided to do because just because it was an opportunity to be funny or creative. So, yeah, to say yes to everything, basically. Yeah, so. the networking thing is almost... it. That's just... it. It's really just making... Fr- friends so you're not i don't think you know you're thinking oh i'm networking it's just these are you start out with a certain group of people and you become pals and then things can just happen spontaneously people's yeah people's careers move at different speeds and people pull you up or you pull people up right and uh, yeah i mean community is the most important thing i think as as like a young writer or young person in comedy yeah, in it's, hindsight, it's, yeah, it's really, absolutely yeah. important. But you, you don't—it's so, not a conscious thing. I—I uh, I mean, it shouldn't be. You're just trying to do what you want to do, and then you make you make friends and kind of create a community. Just cut to him walking directly to law school, <laughs> just, just like right out. <laughs> there are recruiters it's, outside. It's adult law school. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, hand to God signed up for Obamacare this morning, so oh, yeah. I, I, I love to hear good about it. Good for you, I think. Yeah, no, I don't no, know what that it's is. Not good for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of my favorite things recently was the Cuba show, and yeah. uh, I would love to hear how that came about. Anything that I didn't, you know, we didn't see on screen. It was a. Uh, I, I really loved it, so I'd love to hear more about it. That uh, was Sweeney's idea. That was Mike Sweeney's idea. idea. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to Cuba on a vacation. You wanted to bring. Covers. You wanted to bring Doug Lewis. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you insisted. Uh, you know, Obama just said, you know, they're going to uh, warm up relations. So it's like, oh well, let's go there. And then uh, we went with uh, Jose and Jesse, and uh, we were there for three days, four days, and so it's you just shoot all the time because you want to get enough for a whole hour show. So you're kind of editing it as you go. And you, um, you, you know, you're just listening to Conan, and you're just like, "Oh, okay, that's great, that's great, that's great." And then in each scenario, you try to think, "Oh, what's the ending going to be for this?" And the, you, and Conan's thinking that way too. And so you just bang out all this stuff, and then come back and try to put it together. I, I think we wanted to do something with the Cuban baseball team, and I think we wanted to have Conan interact with uh, kids, which I don't think we we showed on the Cuba show. 
And our Cuban handler said, Conan is not going anywhere near kids and he's not going anywhere. So there were things that we pitched that were not, I, I, I you know, at this, I think they're still, they're still politically sort of, uh, you know, ideologically different. And I don't know if they wanted uh, exposure to, a, to Conan as a, as a, a North American, you know, uh, a, so I think that was that was the worry, but uh, we were shut down. I think on those two things specifically, uh, maybe as a point of national pride, or maybe they didn't want to show us what a school looked like. Who knows? But the, those were, I remember being turned down. For they might those. be afraid you were going to help the baseball players defect too. That's like yeah. a realistic oh. concern. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, well, we did, we did get three lines. or four, didn't we? Did we take a couple of <laughs> short stops? <laughs> yeah. uh, I got a short stop. Yeah. Along those lines, though, there was some there these feelings of uh, like conspiracy, and we there were uh, casino cameras on every street corner, and at one point we were just on this waterfront, and we were talking. Conan had happened upon this uh, like Mary Fisherman who was there and was talking to us in English, uh, and then a woman came up behind us and said to Jose and I like very conspiratorially, um, isn't it odd that a, a man fishing here just happens to speak English while you're filming? And she sort of planted this idea in our head, and then we were kind of going back through everything and, and wondering if the whole trip had been orchestrated by the Cuban government. <laughs> and, and like that we were being incepted. And so... All right, we, we uh, don't have a lot of time left, so we're going to run through as many questions as we can. Uh, please keep your answers brief. As soon as you ask your question, <laughs> as soon as you ask your question, please turn around and go away. And <laughs> yeah, listen as you walk back. <laughs> what are your favorite moments, or how is it working with Conan? Um, like, what's, is it like him laughing at your jokes? Like, what are, I don't know. Like, what? I think when he comes into the room, and just goes insane for, room, yeah. for for twenty minutes. It's just nonstop. It's one of the funniest humans on the planet you could ever see. Uh, I remember there was stuff one stuff that could never make the air. Stuff that wouldn't make sense if we talked about it. There was one time he was imitating Tom Brokaw, who was dispensing flan out of his nose. I, I, there's there's a million things like that. Uh, the the guy who only opens doorknobs with his butt. Uh, there's. There's so many things. That's that's easily the on my first day on the job, he removed a writer's belt and beat him with it. It was uh, Michael Coleman. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. We had, are there a couple more uh, highlights from over the years for any of you guys? Nope, that was it. <laughs> Whoever's next. Hi guys. Uh, so my question, I guess, I'll ask Mike this: uh, since you've been at Conan the longest and you've seen so many writers come through the show. I guess uh, my question is, is there a specific trait either in like the work ethic or the character that makes a really good writer, do you think? Specifically uh, no. for this show. There's great variety. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. There, there's, if you're looking for a general background thing, some people have gone to college, some people haven't. So, uh, a lot of people here are all stand-up background. That's often not the case. Um, I, I would say there's no particular rule. It's really all over the lot, which I think is great. And I, and yeah, so I, the one thing I'd say is don't think that it's all, you know, you have to fit a certain type of personality or something. Well, it does seem like after hearing your stories that the one thing in common is everyone had a very strong comic voice of his or her own coming in. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would say so. Yeah. You'll... What's that? <laughs> A character no trait. No one's an asshole. I feel like you had a knack for just finding people that would all get along and have a good time together, yeah. even if yeah. we're not that, 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 that is the same. Like, although, you know what, if, so, if someone's really funny, it's just how funny, if, if they're super funny, it's like you want the super funny person around. And personality is not an issue. Thank you. I would say try to meet Brian Stack sometime. Yeah. He he's the perfect. He, his character trait is uh, imagination and being hilarious constantly. So, um, I had two quick ones. Don't worry. Um, the first was how did you decide um, to bring back like celebrity survey from the old days? Because I'm, as a fan of the old show, I kind of miss those things. So it was fun to see celebrity survey come back. And um, the second one is Matt. Since you are uh, now promoted to head writer, does Conan still beat you up? Uh, he beats me even um, even more. Uh, the opportunities presented for him to lash me are uh, dozens uh, a day. Uh, in fact, it has a sin- sincerely stark effect on me. Uh, what about bringing back uh, old bits? Uh, Conan is very arbitrary about it, and celebrity surveys was something he just it would always do great, and and that was hard for him to say goodbye to. And uh, it was created by Jose Arroyo right over here, and the ja- that's how he got the jacket. Yeah, and uh, polite clapping. a survey blazer. <laughs> right. Um, what happens if you go in on any given day and you're in the completely wrong headspace? I mean, it can happen in any profession. Uh, is that another time when you draw from the joke bucket? Well, I think sometimes, I mean, the advantage of having a, a larger writing staff is that there's an elasticity to it. So sometimes if people are in that kind of screwed up state, you can recede a little bit and then and then surge later when you're sorted. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everyone got, got it. <laughs> um, I was just wondering your guys' opinion on like comedy schools like UCB, Second City. Do you recommend them for late night writing or do you think it's not necessary? I think anywhere you can get experience. I mean, you just need to do a lot of writing for free before you ever end up getting paid for it. And if you can do that in a school, if it helps for to have someone setting deadlines for you then I think that's great. I also think those are good places to meet other people and yeah. kind of create a crew. So Yeah, the I best agree. value of you those can, places is the sense of community. Yeah. It, it, it kind of comes you back can to cut that. years off your development, I think, yeah. by getting to know the right people or um, just being, like you said, having a schedule where you have to write almost every day. I think, you, I think that's nobody here yeah. lucked in or backed into this job. I think they all came with a lot of experience. So, And I think even on this show in... Among the writing staff, like, and this happens, this is sort of analogous to being in a community like UCB or, or, or Groundlings or IO West or whatever. I feel like, like your brain makes my brain better. And, you know, like w- w- one writer's brain just improves another writer's brain. Like, and and I, th- I think that's sort of the value of just having other people to bounce ideas off of. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you guys for coming out, like, as an aspiring writer. I really appreciate this. Um, <laughs> I like this guy. I Thank like you. Him. And I, you know, I sort of kind of have a meta question, and I know we're supposed to keep it brief. But what does your day to day look like? Like, what time do you get up? What do you? That's what meta. do you do? I know. <laughs> like, how does it work to be in your space? That's all. 
we each have individual offices and uh, with, which feeding tubes in them, which is nice. Yeah, <laughs> water droplet. Um, so we're on this. We're on this kind of narrow office that's attached to stage fifteen on, on Warner Brothers lot, and Matt has a larger office, which is essentially the writers' room. And we we meet in there, and that's where all the grids are, and we figure out. What are we What are we doing this week? What should we be doing? What did you see in the news? Did you watch the Oscars last night? Did you see this? Oh, we got to do something on that Ted Cruz video that was out. So it's this it's this endless process of churning stuff around, and your day looks like some days you're you're in this office and you're like, oh my god, I could this could be an insurance firm in Colorado, uh, <laughs> and then other times you're in the writers' room and we're laughing and we're joking and it's literally the the, the dream job. Um, so it's just a mixture. It, 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 ebb and, it ebbs and flows week I, to week. I'm, and, and, I'm a little starry eyed still because I'm I haven't been here very long, but sometimes I just walk around and there's a, something there's a rehearsal going on on the monitors and I just mm-hmm. think I'm in a fun factory. <laughs> The best is when the band kicks in and you get that feeling of, oh, wow, there's a show just downstairs. Or if you're in... Yeah, you my, feel the music. Yeah. My, my favorite thing by far is standing backstage with, with any of these people here. We're in costume and you're behind the curtains. And it just... There's a feeling of like you're in high school and there's a, we're putting on a play. Oh, my God. I hope they like it. It might suck. Oh, fuck. And it's that, that, that excitement right before showtime is, is really the, the best part of our day. But a lot of parts of it are fucking boring, uh, to be honest. Yeah. But, da- but daily live TV is, is unique and crazy in that you might come in the morning with a pitch. You're spending the day producing that pitch. It's on TV at 4.30 that day. And you're hearing an audience's reaction to it. It's very, so different than like writing for like narrative television or something where you don't you don't get to hear the laugh sometimes or you know it's 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 really it's crazy how visceral it can be. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm sorry. This has to be the last question. Oh, They're throwing no, us out. I'm sorry, you guys, but we have stickers for you. Maybe I don't know. Um, you, one more to ask us online uh, or something. Uh, tweet at, at us or something. I don't know. Yeah, at Aaron Blair. <laughs> at Aaron Blair. Um, have there. Uh, been instances I've heard uh, different interviews from former writers where they said the hitting he, the writing room would get so heated that people would storm out because their joke didn't get in. Has it ever happened to you? And have you got, how do you guys deal with it? On this? No, yeah. not no. on this show. No, yeah. right? No. Yeah, no. I, I think no. I think some of us have stewed privately in our offices. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of stewing. I, I've heard stories in other shows where yeah, people like are mean to each other, and I yeah. I don't think we can't afford to be mean to each other. We need no exactly everyone's help yeah. to. Put a show on. Yes, yeah. it's it's all hands on deck. I feel all the time. Usually, you don't. Do you think in a way? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a nice thing. With it, there doesn't seem to be. There's no preciousness about mm-hmm. jokes. And the few times that if we're doing special shows when we're pitching with Conan, it's the same. If we're throwing out a joke and someone throws out a better joke for that subject, he'll immediately turn and go, "Oh, that's the one." Mm-hmm. Write that down. We move on. There's just no attachment. Everyone's for the shows. Uh, all right, we want to end as we always do very quickly by going down the line. We'll start here with you, Matt. Tell us uh, something you're watching on television that you love and recommend. Uh, one or two things. <laughs> uh, I've been watching The Circus on Showtime. Right, that right. Uh, It's really good yeah. um, and really funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, uh, I've been watching The Circus and I've been, I just started rewatching The Sopranos. On HP on HBO, I've heard that's very good. It's, it's it is it is. Uh, so I hope those were uh, both those equally are, unhelpful. Those are correct yeah. answers. Uh, I just watched Catastrophe. Great, that's cool. That was fun. And uh, 
pretend I watched both seasons and it counts as two shows. <laughs> I'll take it. Todd? Um, I've been watching The, the Americans. The best. Um, it's so good. It's so perverse, too. And I think I, I always feel like no one's watching it. Nobody is watching it. Nobody's wa- is it right? Nobody's watching oh, it? No. It's so good. And the period details are amazing. Yeah. It's a really great show. Um, and Barney Miller. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, I'm I, Man Seeking Woman yeah. on FX, I think, is so uh, a yeah. Simon Rich show. Brilliant, funny. Really enjoy that. And um, I also watched Baskets. So two, I think they're on the same network, FX. Uh, just kind of sad and, and weird. A lot of a lot of lot of uh, comedy writers don't watch a lot of comedy. Like they they want to go home and watch yes. drama. I definitely do that as well. But I went with two comedies. Uh, I've really been enjoying this season of Girls. It's making me laugh out loud more than I think I remember laughing at it. Uh, and then just reruns of Law and Order SVU. It's <laughs> kind of my happy place. <laughs> do you live in a nursing home? <laughs> In my mind. Uh, I was watching House of Cards and the Weather Channel. <laughs> House of Cards and Broad City. Uh, Fargo and I've been re-watching Black Mirror, which I feel like is just the oh. best. Oh. Uh, Daredevil. The guy who plays the Punisher is my new man crush. <laughs> and uh, uh, The Grinder, I think, is one of the funniest fucking shows I've ever seen. Excellent answers, everyone. You got them right. Give a round of applause to thank all you, the Conan writers. Out. This is great. Uh, thank you. Thanks to everyone here thank at Nerdist. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks, thanks for to thanks a lot. LA. Thanks to Danielle. For for this guy. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.